not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And this is the reason the church starts the new Christian year with Advent, because Advent is a celebration not of things that are from the past as much as it is a celebration of things to come. Advent is a word by its very definition that talks about things yet to be, things that we know are coming and yet have not seen. And that's what Advent means. So we start the Christian year by remembering and focusing on what is to come. And what we will see in the sky, as scripture describes it to us, is the second coming of Christ. So that Advent and Christmas are not for us a celebration of the first coming as much as they are a celebration of the second coming. Each year at this time, I always want to make sure that we focus on that. It's easy to forget. In fact, the message today is very much about future things. If you want to use that same Bible that you have in front of you and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, that's on page 1017, 1017 in your, your Bible. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 46. We're going to look at that here in a second because it turns out that Mary, the mother of Jesus, understood very well exactly what was really happening with the announcement of her child's birth. Mary was, we will see, the first Christian. And she defines what being a Christian believer is by her life and words and deeds. And so we will listen to Mary's example and learn from it. Let's read then from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, starting at verse 46. Now, this comes on the occasion when Mary has traveled from Nazareth to her cousin Elizabeth's home, and Elizabeth felt her baby leap with joy on the arrival of Mary and her baby. And Mary says in response, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our father, and as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary's Magnificat, which is what is often the term used to describe that declaration, is very familiar to her and to Elizabeth. A lot of people will fail to notice the fact that Mary is quoting the Bible as she knows it in those days. In other words, her Bible was our Old Testament. And in the Old Testament scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah makes the same declaration. The words are very similar, except for one notable difference. Mary has upgraded and improved the original declaration with messianic and even in times overtones. Mary is by all interpretations, the first Christian believer from the moment she tells Gabriel that she's on board with God's plan until this declaration right here where she says with absolute certainty that this is the fulfillment of scripture and I'm excited about it. Mary says that she is carrying within her the fulfillment of God's plan and she's excited about that. The cost to her personally is of no consequence to her. She is so utterly and completely devoted to God's will. Now, when we talk about Mary, a lot of us being people in this community have a tendency to disregard the the overemphasis that some people will place on Mary, the veneration and the adoration, the the worship of Mary. We, We will tend as Protestants to resist that, but it's absolutely and utterly justifiable for us to celebrate Mary in that she is for us an example of what all of us should be. Mary is demonstrating in her words and her deeds and the way that she receives what for a lot of people would have been really bad news. For a lot of people would have been really lousy timing. You know, uh, we've heard many of us over our years, those of us who are old enough that, that, you know, when the couple jokes about waiting for the perfect time to have a baby, you know, it's like there is no perfect time. It's never easy, even when you're expecting on purpose, you still have a lot of adjustments to make. Mary is dealing with lousy timing and then all the other things that goes along with pregnancy and childbirth. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. When's the last time some really challenging circumstances in your life caused you to say, my soul magnifies the Lord? Let's talk about what that means for a second. A soul that magnifies the Lord. Mary is our example. She is someone who has within her God's answer to all of life's questions. Maybe a lot of you like me have been a little bit frustrated over the last year and a half because it seems like there's just nothing you can count on. Nothing reliable. You can't count on people in authority to tell you the truth because they contradict themselves every time their mouth moves, right? You can't count on 
on uh, religious authorities because so many of them have become corrupt in the spiritual sense of the word. They've become devoted to man-made versions of the gospel and the religions and so forth. You find it difficult to count on people to keep their word, either because they can't due to supply chain issues or because their life is so full of uncertainty and unpredictability that they make it, it makes it difficult for them to make a promise they can keep. And so we're all going from day to day through this process of doubting what's coming next and fearing what's coming next. If there is a name for this state of mind, I guess it would be anxiety. I suppose it comes at a lot of different levels. But for the Christian, there is hope beyond all of that. And it's a good idea to think about it daily, which is why we've talked about praise and thanksgiving, why we've talked about people like Mary, for example, who make the most of difficult circumstances because they are people with hope. Mary's Magnificat is a statement of hope and faith in the face of something that seems on the surface to be a dangerous and difficult predicament. And so we're called to do the same thing. This year on the 21st of December, we're going to have a special service out at the Shiloh Cemetery in the Shiloh Meeting House of what we'll call the longest night service. It's traditionally a service that's particularly helpful for people who have lost someone they love in that previous year and now all those firsts are starting to stack up you know the first anniversary the first birthday the first thanksgiving and the first christmas those things are hard when you just lost somebody but we're going to add another element to that service that night because we're going to recognize that all of us are grieving right now we're all anxious about things if grief is basically a response that your body and soul has to the permanent change that you can't control, then we've all experienced a lot of that in the last year and a half or two. And we're all getting a little bit tired of it. And so that night we will really take a moment to say, Lord, Christmas just doesn't taste the same this year. And we want to acknowledge that as we continue on. Now, with that being said, I come back to Mary. Mary is someone who did not look at the circumstances that existed in her time as much as she saw the circumstances in the timeless point of view. I want to channel Doctor Who here for a minute. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. Just let this go in one ear and out the other. But if you're a Doctor Who fan, this concept will be a lot easier for you to understand. God exists outside of space and time, which means that pretty much everything God says is a here and now prospect. It's a right now situation. When God said, I am to Moses, for us, that was a long, long time ago. But in God's way, it is a now thing. When he says, I am to Moses, he's saying, I am to you right now. Because we live inside space time and therefore, everything's sort of linear for us. But God's reality is so different. God is wholly other than what God has created. And Mary instinctively understands this. Perhaps because people who read the Old Testament from their point of view understood it better than we do. And we have to work a lot harder to get where they instinctively got. But what you realize is, is that we are celebrating 
Most of our activities in the life of church celebrate things that happened in the past. And we, we celebrate them as though they are the past. We celebrate Christmas as though it was about something that happened a long time ago. But Christmas was about God being with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And it isn't about something that happened a long time ago. It's about something that happens right now. Because he was born to Mary back then, he is born to us right now. Because he died on the cross back then, we are forgiven right now. And every time he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He's saying it right now. When he breathes the Holy Spirit on the apostles, when he sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, for them it was something that we think of as being back then, but it's a right now proposition. It happens now. Because it happens in the form of a person or being who lives outside of space and time as we understand it. Now, do you understand, all you Doctor Who people, why I mentioned him? Why I mentioned that program? Because it deals with the fact that his little blue box is a doorway to a place outside of space-time. And this will make even more sense to you when you realize that the reason we know so much about things that haven't happened yet inside our timeline is because John on Patmos was invited to step outside of space and time and see things that for all intents and purposes have already happened. What he witnessed is something that has already happened and yet we haven't seen it yet. It means that the coming of our Lord Jesus is an advent for us in one sense, but it's a reality that is here and now in another sense. His second coming is not just around the corner, it's here, we just haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> because if it weren't for John being able to see it outside of space and time, we wouldn't know about it, and then it would be a big unknown. Why am I going down this road with you? Because I want you to not only celebrate Christmas as a time to bring back old memories, but celebrate it as a time that is here and now. It is a present reality. You know why so many people are anxious and grieving right now because of the pandemic, because of politics, because of economy, because of all these other things? You know why people are upset? Because they keep wanting things to be the way they used to be, right? Because we're all trying to make the past come back. We all think about happier times in the past and we want them back. But that's a frankly, a foolish thing to do because it can't. Because permanent change in this linear existence of ours is something we simply cannot manage. We can't control it. And so we are forced to align ourselves with something that is beyond all of that. I say forced, we're invited is a better way to put it. We are invited to be a part of something outside of space and time. We are given the keys to a kingdom that exists outside of space and time. We have no business there apart from the fact that God came into time as a person, Jesus Christ, so that he could take us out of time for all eternity. 
This adds new dimensions to your understanding of Christmas, adds new dimensions to your understanding of Advent, and I hope adds new dimensions to your understanding of Christian living in the Holy Spirit. Mary really was the first person to get it. If you can think about everything I've challenged you to consider about your own spiritual life, then you can imagine what Mary got automatically. And if this is the reason that God picked her, it was a darn good one. Now let's look at Mary for a minute in our own lives. We are like Mary in that we have Christ in us. She had Christ in her in a literal, physical way, but she had Christ in her heart and mind as well, which is why she could say with absolute certainty the things that she said about her circumstances. What I've discovered about a lot of Christian believers is that they have Christ within them, but they rarely let him get out. They let him just sit in there. I, I'm, you know, this might sound horrible to some of you, but can you imagine what would happen to a woman who never gave birth to the child she was carrying within? If she just kept that baby in her and it never came out and never became a living being in the world, what would happen? It would be a terrible, terrible thing. But what really happens? Well, I can relate. I just hang out. I just got to hang out with my, my newest grandchild the other day. And, and you know, in four months, she's already changed so much, it's incredible. And that's the way it is, you know, when they're a year within that first year of life, they change every time you look at them. So why would it not be absurd for us to have Christ in us and never let that be born into our lives? You have Christ in you, just like Mary did, but you reluctantly let your soul magnify the Lord. You reluctantly let him be born from you and become a growing natural extension of who you are so that you are in him, having your being in him, but also having this growth in that relationship. We talk about Christians being born again, and the irony, I guess, is, is that what they're really doing is they're receiving Christ in them who then needs to gestate and be born <laughs> so that his life is something that is both within and without. That's how your soul magnifies the Lord. Okay, I want to talk to the boys for a minute here, old and new. Once a boy discovers fire, becomes a very dangerous creature. And if they go to Boy Scouts or 4-H or something, then they get, you know, they get taught how to perfect their discovery of fire. Now, you don't have to admit this if you don't want to, but I can recall a certain boy I used to know years ago who discovered that if you take a magnifying glass on a sunny day and concentrate the light of the sun on a poor, hapless little ant, something remarkable and terrible happens. And so this discovery of being able to take the unlimited, untamed power of the sun and concentrate it through a lens on something can create a concentrated energy that has enormous potential for good or evil. And it seems like boys figure it out real early in life for whatever reason. 
You say, why do you bring that up? Well, because when I think of a soul that magnifies the Lord, I think of a soul that does just that. This enormous, incomprehensible God in Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the master of a kingdom beyond our comprehension, outside of space and time, somehow we magnify him in focused energy if we want to. Why do we resist? Why did Mary do just the opposite? Why did she rejoice in her circumstances and declare herself a soul that magnifies the Lord? Because it's what she always wanted. So what's holding us back? Some of us are going to say, well, this is all fine and well, Pastor Dan, but I still like Christmas. In fact, how many of you would say that Christmas just ain't Christmas if you don't watch at least once Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Or... It's a Charlie Brown Christmas. You can admit that if you want. I like them too. There are lots of traditions we have that give us pleasure, that give us joy. I enjoyed eating turkey and dressing the other day with lots of gravy. You know, gravy makes everything better. And yet, my soul didn't depend on that experience. Part of the reason that Christmas creates opportunities for great suffering is because we, without meaning to focus our energy on the wrong things, we are more in love with the idea of Christmas than we are with the living Christ of Christmas. We are more focused on self-fulfillment and pleasure and winning the approval of others and so on and so forth. Isn't it amazing how good Christian people, you know, will scramble to get whatever's left on the store shelves before someone else does? And if you've ever driven in a parking lot of a mall or a shopping center a few days before Christmas, there's a lot of unchristian behavior, to say the least. What if your holiday is full of fun traditions, but they're not the main thing. If you're a soul that magnifies the Lord, you always have concentrated energy on those things that matter most. Amen? And this is the point. In her declaration, Mary tells us what the best qualities of a good Christian would be. And they are humility, praise, courage, compassion, faith and hope. She is humble. How many times have we talked about that? You cannot come to the Lord for redemption until you are humble. Until you realize that you have nothing to offer the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You have nothing to offer your creator. And when you say things like that and mean it, God can work in you. He can get that lens where he needs to, to concentrate the energy. When, when your words often reflect praise, even in the most difficult of circumstances, when you're courageous, you know, courage and faith are two sides of the same coin, and Mary was both filled with faith and filled with courage. She no doubt had moments of fear, but she could not help being informed by her faith too. And so she courageously and faithfully 
embraced her circumstances. She has compassion. Notice that one of the things she did not change in her declaration from the Old Testament version is God's compassion for the oppressed. How many times have you heard me say God hates oppression? God hates chaos. God is the author of created order, of cosmos, and God is a force that suppresses chaos and oppression. And what does Mary declare is about to happen because of the son she will give birth to, that he will bring an end to oppression and chaos. She is one who is driven by irresistible hope. Can you say the same? When I was a little kid, the old people in my world would say that that was a Pollyanna way of looking at things, always hopeful, always putting a positive spin on negative circumstances. But the truth is, when that's your frame of mind, that's just a soul magnifying the Lord. And this is what we all desire to be, I hope, and what we will strive for as we move forward in our Christian season of Christmas and Advent. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts and let us be souls that magnify your wonderful name. Help us to be part of your eternal kingdom linked to something that is not linear and is not historical as much as it is future-centric. Because for us, the future is now. And you have invited us into the past, the present, and the future outside of space and time. And we long to be able to see you more clearly. We pray that we might be like Mary in being souls that magnify your name. Amen. Amen.